Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex. Weekday afternoons on The Horn. Sports Complex on a Tuesday afternoon. On today's show, we're going to get to some Sark audio from yesterday, talk about the big scrimmage this Saturday, some of the key players, all that goodness from Sark. Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day. ESPN put out a college football top 100 players list, and I feel like Texas may have been a little disrespected. Maybe not. Maybe they were. We'll tell you into that. We got some MLB updates happening, some NFL updates. Mike McCarthy talked about Zach Martin coming back to preseason games. D'Amico Ryans is on. Pat McAfee got some audio from that and a couple other notes from around the NFL. All that coming up on the show today. And you can join the conversation. 512-337-3776 is the number for the Specs text line. If you want to join the conversation, play with us here today on the Sports Complex. Uh, Let's get into it, though, guys. Let's get into it. Of course, we talked about it a little bit yesterday. The big first preseason scrimmage, uh, spring scrimmage for uh, Texas happened yesterday. Uh, we saw a bunch of different reports come out of it because it was not open to the public, was not open to media, uh, just some families, and, of course, some VIPs were in there. So, you, you know, some things got out. Sark did talk to the media yesterday. We couldn't get the sound for you yesterday because he started it right about the same time we started the show, so we couldn't get it for you. But we do have some sound from Sark today telling us uh, kind of what his viewpoints were of the scrimmage. And we'll start off with his opening statement. It's a little lengthy, but it is explaining basically – who he thought was good, what he got out of it. We'll get through that first, and then we'll move on to some other pieces here from Sark. This is from Sark yesterday, t- addressing the media, talking about uh, the beginning of the scrimmages for spring. A little bit. As it- yeah, I'll, I'll kind of recap the scrimmage and a little bit as it pertained to today's practice. So, I, first of all, I thought it was a very good first scrimmage force. Um, it was highly competitive. Uh, you know, one thing you always are concerned about going into a first scrimmage is, A, tackling. Um, and I felt like we tackled pretty good for our first scrimmage. I, mean, I felt like we we got people on the ground. Obviously, in the open field, we have some pretty elusive guys that can create some explosive plays. Uh, but it wasn't just a, an enormous amount of missed tackle. So I'm confident about that, too. To come out of that thing injury-free is always a positive for me. Like, you know, last year we know – we lost a couple of guys for the season in that first scrimmage. Um, so that's always a concern. You know, I, I think a couple of things, you know, critically that I, that I talked to the team about first is, you know, we're in really good condition, right? Where we, our guys can run, they're in great shape, but there's a difference of being able to run. And there's a difference of being in game shape. Um, you know, games last three and a half hours, right? You know, with, when you're in the locker room and sideline and back in, and we have to condition ourselves better for that. And what I mean by that is maintaining a level of consistency in our play, maintain, maintaining the mental intensity needed in the second half, into the fourth quarter, maintaining that focus uh, so that we don't have some of the breakdowns that we didn't have early in the, in, the, in the scrimmage. So that's something that we worked on today. 
um, with the guys and, and they really responded well. I told them today, I was really proud of them, just the way they responded to um, how taxing it was going in the afternoon and, and practicing for a little over two hours in the heat. And, and I thought the, the last period was really well done by them. Uh, offensively, you know, naturally there's always things you, you want to clean up coming out of a scrimmage, you know, for us, pre-snap penalties, you know, we need to improve, you know, we, we were not clean, uh, you know, pre-snap as you, as you guys know, we, we like to motion and shift and do different things before that ball snapped and too many, you know, just false starts, the illegal procedure stuff that, that we can clean up. Um, you know, three turnovers Saturday, I, I think in just about 130 plays, um, which is which is too many um, for the offense. And so understanding the value of the football, but on the flip side, that's a real credit to the defense in creating those turnovers, okay? Um, an area where I know we can improve defensively is, you know, we're really making it a point to get after the quarterback and, and we're seeing the effect of that, but we still have to understand our rush lanes, especially on third down. And so uh, that is definitely an area for us to clean up and, and, and try to minimize some of the quarterback scrambles that, that came into having big plays uh, on Saturday. But just some young guys that that kind of stood out to me. Jelani McDonald has continued to impress, uh, has been impressive. Derek Williams, uh, Anthony Hill, uh, Manny Muhammad had a nice day. And a guy that we don't, we don't uh, mention quite as much in that backfield, Trey Wisner had a good day, not only at running back, but on special teams. And I thought some guys that, you know, sometimes get overlooked from spring ball. And then we talk about our returning kind of star players and then, our new players, our new faces, but we had some guys that uh, have made real strides that I'm proud of. I think Arch has really stepped his game up. He's playing at a high level. Uh, I think Justice Finkley is playing good football for us. You know, he's in year two, right? And, and he's playing well. Um, I think Jare Blitzo, which we touched on last week. I think Gunnar Helm is playing very good football for us at tight end. And I think DJ Campbell uh, is doing some nice things up front on the offensive line. So, um, you know, like I said, it was a good scrimmage Saturday, but as as good as that was, I love the way they responded today uh, to a to a tough practice, and um, us still finishing the way that we did was impressive. All right, there we go. Lots to get into in that first segment. That was kind of the opening, and and just his take on what happened at the scrimmage on Saturday. First and foremost, the injury free is what he started off with. Always great to see. Uh, you know, Texas come out healthy. We know that Jordan Whittington left the game. Heard it was nothing major. Uh, he's he was playing. He was practicing yesterday. Xavier Worthy was not part of the scrimmage. Uh, that was due to illness. He is apparently back uh, taking reps. So great to see. And it's something he's talked about in previous press conferences is that this season, because there's just kind of this renewed sense of that there is depth, that there is a feeling of, hey, man, if you don't play at a high enough level, like we're all trying to help. We're all trying to win, right? Everybody's on the same page. But – there's people behind you now that I feel that people are, you know, there's just another step in your preparation day to day that may help you prevent an injury by getting there early to work out a little bit more and do a little bit more in the stretching because you know, hey man, even if I'm out three practices, that may be enough to lose me some playing time and I want to keep my position. So I think there is something to be said about getting a, a feel for the team this season that you need to be in the best condition of your life. You need to take the extra time and get into the game shape, which is what he talks about in there. You need to be able to get into the conditioning and get the stretching and spend the time to be the player you want to be because you know there is now depth at Texas, which there hasn't been for a while. And it may not be the depth they need 
They may need more, and you know that's why the recruiting classes are so big that Sark is still pulling in because you're going to the SEC next season, and you're going to need more depth. And you know, once you start now getting some draft picks going out, and you start seeing some guys leaving, you're going to need to replace that. So those those top five recruiting classes has to, have to keep coming, right? But until then, while you're building it, to finally have a little bit of depth at this Texas team in the wide receiver room, in the in the defensive backs room, in the quarterback room. You know, the O-line room starting to get depth. Which I mean, the O-line, we didn't even necessarily have a full, great offensive line. Now they're starting to see, okay, maybe maybe these offensive linemen are realizing, hey, man, maybe I should, you know, make sure I'm, I'm watching what I'm eating. And I can still eat good. I can still eat plenty. But maybe I just need to watch. Maybe I need to make sure that I'm getting that cardio in that I hate because it's a thankless position and my knees hurt and everything else. All of that stuff comes with trying to build a winning culture around a team and the more good players you have, the more stress it puts on everybody to bring their A game. And that leads into less injuries in some cases. Now, some are just unavoidable. So there is no perfect way to do it. But the more depth you have means the more that players may put that extra effort in to stretch it out and to hydrate and to do everything right so that they don't get off the field and they keep playing the game. He goes into game shape which we know the conditioning has been thing, what we just talked about, conditioning, but the game shape. And what he really leads into is, hey, man, the, those third and fourth quarter, those times that we've, that we've lost games, and now Sark has to realize he's a big part, a big, big part of those third and fourth quarter meltdowns. A big part of that is Sark. And he, we won't know that until, until game time, right? Because he can't really, in a scrimmage, tell us how he's changing his play calling and, and all that. He's mentioned it. I'm going to say that he understands. I'm going to say that he understands that it's a problem for him and he needs to address it. Now, whether he does or not, that becomes a harder part. It's very hard to look in the mirror sometimes and you can say, hey, man, you know, I have a, I have a fear of failure, which makes me not take chances. Well, are you going to take that chance? No, I'm afraid I'm going to fail. Doesn't You know it, it's still not going to help you. That is something that he understands, hey, I have to. I have to be able to help and have to be able to play, call plays in a better way. Is it getting other guys to help? Is it getting in some other coaches that maybe help me prepare a little bit differently? And is it me thinking differently when I'm on the field? He won't be able to do that when he gets there, but the players will be able to fix their problems of not being able to be physically ready. Depth helps with able to be substitutions in that third and fourth quarter. And what he talks about there as well is pre-snap penalties, which really comes down to focus. It comes down to focus. And that is something that at any level is very hard to do and very hard to coach and very hard to implement, especially when you're talking about teams that maybe it's not in week one when you're playing Rice and you have Alabama next week. That's that focus. Can you focus enough to not have those silly penalties? When you're playing Alabama and you know your, your family's in the crowd and you know that girl you like is in the crowd and you know, are you able to focus enough so that when the play is being called out, you're listening to everything you need to be doing and the pre-snap and you can remember and can you focus on that level to not have costly penalties when you know you're going to be playing in some key games and in third, third and fourth quarter, man, a 5-10 yard penalty can really, really cost you. And if it shortens up a drive and that defense gets just a quick little water break and it's hot like it is today, and he's going to have to go, and the, that defense doesn't get a rest, and those big guys have to get right back out on the field because you just you weren't ready, and you weren't focused, and you thought, man, the ball's not going to me. They're not even going on my side of the field. 
I know what the play call is. It's going the other way. I don't care. I'm going to go jog out to my side, and I line up a little bit off. And Quinn Ewers is worried about whatever he's doing, and everybody's worried, and they don't see you, and you get it, and ref sees you. Boom. Fifteen five-yard penalty. Instead of a third and three, it's a third and eight. Changes the play up, changes what the defense can do, changes up everything. And it was just a lack of focus on someone that the play's not even involving, really. But every play involves you. Those are the types of things that you cannot have in key situations. And I think that was a key factor of what he said was in practice on Monday. That goes on the defensive side as well when he talks about the third down defense uh, of a team when you know you're going to be playing some other big schools. And, and, you know, we know Texas Tech is that last game of the season. And, man, there's going to be a lot of distractions. We hope a lot of distractions for Texas at the end of the season because if there's not distractions, well, there's look, there's going to be distractions. Either they suck and they, they lose three games, and I get sucking and losing three games is not the same thing. But if you lose three games before you get to the last game of the season, you are, you're underachieving for this team right now, right? So if you say that's the distraction, if they lost three or four games – and that's the distraction. The people are now wondering what's going to happen, and they're going to the SEC, and they're going to be eaten alive. That. Or you're playing great. You've lost one game maybe, and you're going into that Texas Tech game, and your distractions are, man, are we, are we in the college football playoff talks? Are we playing for the Big 12 championship? What are we doing next? And they start picking up fourth downs on you, and you drop that game because your focus disappears on third and fourth down because you say all we got to do is stop one thing. And in today's football, there's seven things happening on a decent team. Those are the focus that is necessary to be drilled into the heads of these players. Sark talks about, in this, about practicing in the afternoon today and the different practice times. Sark talked about the practice times yesterday as well. Let you tell you what he says. I'll tell you what you think. Well, my, my thing is, you know, I don't get to pick our game times, unfortunately, or I'd, we'd be kicking off at about 8.30 a.m. because that's when we go in the season. But because of that, I, I'm, I really feel like I, I have to expose our guys to the different times and the different body clock times for them. So we've been going it a couple times. You know, we're going to go tomorrow night about 7:30. We're going. We've gone a few times here at 2:30 in the middle of the day. We've scrimmaged. Uh, you know, at about by the time the scrimmage gets kicked off, uh, just before 11 a.m., which we know 11 a.m. games come around. So I'm trying to expose them to all that. Knowing starting on Monday when school starts, we're going to be in the morning, and, and that's that's what we got. And I, I don't really get to adjust that. So I'm trying to take these weeks now without school of adjusting some of our practice times to one expose them to different times, but two, how do I maximize their rest between practices? Right? Um, I would never practice in the afternoon or in the evening and then come back and practice them in the morning. Right? So I'm always trying to find you know, a span where I can get their recovery done. And I think it's been helpful. Um, our guys have really bought into recovery and what that looks like from a hydration standpoint, from what they're eating to how they're sleeping. Um, and we've really, this has been our best year of minimizing some of the soft tissue issues that we've kind of had in the past. So another part in there he mentions about moving, and there's two great parts about moving practices around like this. And, and I mean, it is somewhat all in your head. It is you know, uh, a chance to kind of be able to give them a extremely hot practice and then give them an easier one where it's not, you know, you're able to give them two different levels where you're not necessarily trying to do the, hey, man, we're going to run you till you puke old school philosophy of football, which so many people are a fan of, but it doesn't seem to get you a ton of wins in today's game. It worked back then, but that's a different world. That was when you could have 
more practices with helmets. And you could kind of build up those physical calluses. They don't allow you to have the amount of practices because those long-term causes more issues. And the NCAA and college football as a whole doesn't want more stories of long-term massive uh, injuries to college football players. So you change up what you're doing. You don't I, – I get it. And that's it's probably a good thing. But one of the other factors uh, when you talk about that focus and the routine of a game is when you have practice at the same time every day, the routine falls into your daily routine. And it can fall into, hey, man, every day I wake up at, at 6 a.m. And at 6.15, I'm eating breakfast. And at 6.25, I'm in the shower. And by and 6.50, I'm in my car and driving to practice. And at 7 o'clock, I'm doing my stretch. And you have that routine. But the time is the time. So now when you have a game day and you're on the road or wherever else, your time's a little bit off and it's the routine falls off. So when you start to have routines of in-game routines, to be able to move them around in practice and start to get mind, guys' mindset in the right sense of, no, you need to be focused from three hours before the game. Not from 7 a.m. Not from You need to be focused from three hours before the game when you start, or four hours, or whatever it is. You need to have that focus, and you need to know how to ramp your body up and not do it by a clock so much, but by just the feel like you should be able to do this naturally. And by moving the practices, by getting you to feel, okay, well, uh, you know, I know if we're playing a 7 o'clock game, I need to prepare slightly differently than if I'm playing an 11 a.m. game because my body's given up on me in the third and fourth quarter and then late in the practice. My body's given up on me. Hey, man, I'm seeing that I, my hydration changes, so I need to be able to change up somewhat of my pregame routine. All of those things are big, pre, are big positives of when you do this. Now, if you oversell it, then you get people to think that, okay, we're ready, we can play in anything, and that's just never the case because – you're not going to be playing in Austin, Texas every game, and the weather is going to change, and there's dry heat, and the in the you're going to Houston, and and you, you know there's just you know, and then we to get into the cold, it becomes a completely different thing. So you're not prepared for everything, but to change up the mindset of a routine not being a based on a clock routine, but based on a system and a feeling and being going like that is a different process for a team to be able to help you try and play on the road, some help you try and change up and be a more consistent focused team, which is what Sark is trying very hard to implement right now. He wants to implement, I need you guys to 100% be there for me in the third and fourth quarter, because I don't know if I will be. I'm trying, guys. Sark says he wants to be there in the third and fourth quarter. Sark says he wants to be calling the right place. Sark says he wants to make the right adjustments. But we can't know that. So you guys have to be as good as you can be to hopefully make up for any shortcomings in the play calling. And if it's not the right play, man, you because you had Bijan and Rojo last year, and man, the amount of broken tackle rates and guys getting hit behind the line two yards and still getting a, a forward play, that's gone this year. And I get Jonathan Brooks is going to be good. He talks about the short yardage and running backs. We can play that in a little bit. But the ability to be focused and prepared for four quarters, no matter what, I don't care if you're up 60-0 to zero against Rice or you're down – by 24 against Alabama. I don't think they will be, but I, I don't care. I don't care either way. I need 100% focus. I need 100% for four quarters. That's been a problem. Sark talked about, too, the second half of the scrimmage, the second half of practice, and what he wants to see in exactly this sense. Talking to the media yesterday, Sark. It wasn't so much the play. You know, I try to simulate, um, when we scrimmage, I try to simulate what would be a first half 
And then we really, we actually take a halftime and we go, we go, we don't go all the way to the locker room, but we go to the tunnel and we'll take about eight minutes. And then we come back out and we start with the special teams and then we go again. And I just didn't quite feel our energy right when we kind of came out for what would have been the third quarter, which we have to get trained to do. Um, and then I, what I didn't like was not that it was about the physical conditioning of what we were about. There were too many mental lapses late where same calls, just like there were earlier in the game, but that mental fatigue of it, it lasts longer staying focused, keeping your mental intensity to remain consistent. And so that's what I was stressing upon the guys. And so that's why we kind of structured practice the way we did today. And like I said, I thought today was much better. So that's as much as is on me as it is on them as a coach of putting them in those situations to get them comfortable uh, handling it. Do you remember how many times last year we saw Sark in the tunnel trying so hard to get his guys amped up? Or we saw Coach Steven yelling at a guy, a, t- a TV guy, at the at the Alamo Bowl, but we saw Sark trying so hard to get his guys amped up because he's like, I need everything out of you. This seems to be that he has realized, man, I need to start this ramp up stuff earlier and earlier every year. I need to get these guys amped up and going because it, when I try and tell them what I'm telling them in the, the tunnel, it's too late. So I need to get them amped up and understand how important this second half is for this Texas team this year. How important this second half is for Texas to be successful this season. Sark knows it. You can tell. That's what he's talking about. All these clips are him saying this second half is where we fell short. He said in previous clips, my play calling in the second half and our strategy, it seems to be good in the first half. The, the, what, we, what we work on seems to be okay. He knows. He's aware that Texas has had issues in the second half of ball games. Every national media person can tell you that Texas has faults in the second half of ball games, and they show up short in some big games, and that's why they don't get picked better. Sark knows this. So he has to say there's certain things we have to fix, and I need all of your intensities and focus to be that much bigger. Last one I'll play for you before we go to break here. Sark was talking about short yards and RBs. And yes, I know the Arch Manning. Uh, I, I will tell you this. Uh, before we get into the last clip, uh, I was going to play an Arch Manning clip. I'll play, actually, I'll play the Arch Manning clip for you real quick. It's only 37 seconds. I'm going to play this Arch Manning clip for you real quick just so we can get the Arch Manning. I understand it's Arch Manning. We're going to play the Arch Manning clip and, and just the fun of we found out we finally have an athletic Manning. Now, Arch, Arch made a couple plays with his legs, you know, had a, had a third down scramble early in the scrimmage. Uh, to an extended drive uh, on a third and long, and then had a, on another third and long, had a long touchdown run right down the middle um, where, like we're talking the defense, we, we want to play more man coverage. Um, we want to affect the quarterback, right? Um, but when you do that and the defenders all have their backs turned guarding their, guarding their man and you get out of your rush lanes, an athletic guy like Arch can, can go split it. And then he showed a – I think he hit 20, 20 miles an hour, which was pretty impressive. He didn't even know he could go 20 miles an hour, so uh, it was a nice play by him. Arch going 20 miles per hour. He's going in a school zone. They told him to slow down. Arch Manning, actually an athletic Manning, very surprising. Uh, if you don't follow my man Matt Butler from Longhorn Blitz Podcast, it's at Butler in Austin on Twitter. Uh, he posted something great today uh, with a list of guys who hit uh, NFL quarterbacks hit 20-plus miles per hour. Basically, Justin Fields is the only guy who got up to 21. Last year in the NFL. So 20 miles per hour is a pretty good statement to be there because that is an NFL speed. 
So very cool to see Arch Manning has that ability. We know that they're bumping him back up. Uh, he's also said in this press conference, Malik Murphy and Arch Manning for number two has not been settled. There is a lot still to come on that. Uh, last clip I am going to play for you. Sark uh, talked about short yardage and running backs because we talked about it in the, the opening of, man, that third down defense and sometimes getting so focused on covering the pass game that you let the running play go through. And short yardage for Texas has been a problem, picking up those third downs and getting the big plays when you need and just breaking them through. Here's Sark talking about how the running backs did and also short yardage, how they're trying to work on that. It's interesting. We had a fourth and one uh, Saturday, and I think we had a 50-yard touchdown run. So, I don't know. I guess I feel pretty good. No. <laughs> um, you know, inevitably, we got to find the right plan for our personnel. You know, there's we got a bunch of plays. we got a wealth of knowledge in our room, right? Um, you know, Coach Flood and I have been together now for quite some time. Um, you know, the, the addition of Paul Christ has been really helpful in, in his expertise going back to Oregon State and Wisconsin and the NFL. So I, I, I'm very confident we'll have a good plan when the season really gets there. We've been working on a lot of different things, uh, but ultimately we have to call the things that best suit the people that we have. You know, it's one thing for the play to look good on the whiteboard. Uh, it's another to make sure that we're putting our players in a really good position to have success. And some of that depends on who's the runner. Right. You know, what, what Jonathan Brooks might run well in short yardage may be different than a said Baxter or a Keelan or a blue or whomever it is. And so that we have to be mindful of those things as much as it is, you know, just the play. We got to think about the players, too. There you go. I, I like the concept. This is something of, you know, he knows that he knows this. This isn't anything new for Sark. He, Keelan Robinson, he knows how to use Keelan Robinson. He uses them very well. Keelan Robinson, he got to make a big a bunch of big plays. The bigger issue is the not fun way, the not fancy way of playing running back in the NFL and using those, I think the addition of Paul Christ is going to be huge for a running game. And I'm very excited to see if Paul Christ is going to be able to impact on Sark's mentality about how to coach running backs and how to play call for running backs. Because Paul Christ at Wisconsin had tons of great running backs come out of there, a very good uh, tradition of running the ball with Paul Christ. So I'm very excited to see what they can do there. And he's right. You have to find the right guys for the right spot. The question is, can you build those guys in these scrimmages and in these practice to know that they're they're your guy and then be able to put them on the field and have enough versatility that the defense doesn't know, okay, this is their short yardage back, just power up in the middle and you know we'll take our guys versus those. Because, again, when you get to those big games, you may be able to go size against size uh, with some of these smaller teams that don't have the recruiting that you do. You may be able to do that against them. You're not going to be able to do that week two. You're not going to be able to do that if you get to the college football playoff. You're not going to be able to do that against some of the teams in the Big 12 that are recruiting well. You're not going to be able to do that once you get to the SEC. So you're going to need to find a way to get your running backs useful and short yardage and not always on trick plays. So you can say how we use them, and I know what that's kind of code for is, hey, man, we can – you know, we don't just have to run the ball like old school. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. Let's get into Patrick's Big Fat Poll today. Yesterday we asked you, who is the biggest diva in sports today? I realized later we didn't put a wide receiver on the list, which seems silly. It seems like we need to have a wide receiver on the biggest diva list, but I, I guess it's quarterbacks now. People want to put it on quarterbacks. The, the wide receiver is no longer the most hated player on the football field. Uh, we had uh, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers from basketball, Kyrie Irving and James Harden were our choices that we put up on the poll. You guys voted on a slim margin to take James Harden. 
I think it's some recency bias, but I agree. You've asked for trades off of this. I mean, Aaron Rodgers only won one out of one team. Kyrie's only one out of two teams. I think James Harden is on the team four. So we're going to say James Harden wins our poll last year, uh, or yesterday, for the Big Fat Poll of the Day of who was the biggest diva in sports today. We do have another one for today, and we're going to talk about this in the next segment, but I'm going to start you off where you can start putting it on our Big Fat Poll of the Day. It's time. Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day on the Horn. All right. Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day for today, for Tuesday. Who is the most overrated player going into the 2023 college football season? ESPN released their list of a hundred, the top 100 college football players. It is apparently done by polling a bunch of ESPN people. I will talk about it more in the next segment, but let's get your answers. 512-337-3776 is the Specs text line where you can join the conversation. Tell us, who is the most overrated player going into the 2023 college football season? I need some. I I feel like there's going to be some some standard answers. I may we may have some Longhorn hate of one guy on the Longhorns, and there may be not. I feel like a guy, you know, maybe maybe a guy UNC could be on that list. I don't know. Maybe he'll show up this year. Tell me what you think. Five one two three three seven three seven seven six. Who is the most overrated player going into the twenty twenty three college football season? We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking some college football. Top 100 list from ESPN. I'll give you the guidelines they went with and why I think Texas may be a bit disrespected on this list. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex. Weekday afternoons only on the Horn. Back on the sports complex here on the horn. Some Al Green there for you. Standing in the rain. This week's theme is we are doing our rain dance, trying to get a little rain down here in Austin, Texas. Uh, it is hot. It is dry. And we could use some rain. So doing our rain dance here on the sports complex this week. Big fat poll of the day. Guys, text us in. 512-337-3776 is the Specs text line. How you can join the conversation and let us know who your pick is. For the most overrated player going into the 2023 college football season. So they have, so ESPN put out a list, and this is why we're doing this poll. College football's top 100 players for 2023. Uh, the methodology, I will give you this first because I think it's important. Because I was trying to figure out why you would put it if you think it's just statistical performance. I'm still not 100% sure, but voters were presented with a series of one-on-one votes. For example, who should be ranked higher for the 2023 season, Blank Corum or Caleb Williams? Thinking of an Oklahoma drill of statistical reasoning, more than 10,000 votes later, these were the results. So this is how it was done. Uh, number one is Caleb Williams. Not surprising. He's last year's Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, not fully surprising. Brock Bowers comes in at number two, the tight end out of Georgia. And then Marvin Harrison, Marvin Harrison Jr. at number three. 
So that is the three that I'll give you the top three that I don't think there's a ton of debate, and you may say not, but okay, fine. They're, they're, those guys are going to be probably good. Now, they may be on your list. Some people may say Caleb Williams has got, you know, it's coming to him in his in his his uh, his last season, his junior season. We, we all assume he's going to the draft. But his junior season, maybe maybe it's coming to him. Maybe Brock Bowers in Georgia doesn't have it without Stetson Bennett. I don't know. You can say all these things. Marvin Harrison Jr., I don't think there's much of a debate that he is going to be really, really good. He's apparently done plyometrics and stuff all offseason and is at another level now and even faster and can jump higher and do all. Just, just the, the, he's just really good. So I, I'm not bad. I'm not, I don't have a problem with those guys. But where Texas falls on this list is where things start to get a little – because it starts to go down and you start to see it and you go, okay, maybe there's a little bias. And there seems to be a pretty big Pac-12 bias, which I get to an extent if we're just saying statistically, who do we think is going to have a better season? I can get – you may say some of these guys in the Pac-12 are going to have a pretty good offensive season because Pac-12 defenses historically are pretty crappy. So if we say, hey, the defenses don't show up, it's an offensive lead in the Pac-12, they want to score a lot of points – then I get you're going to put them on higher on these lists. I don't know if that's the case. At no point does it say these are just statistics. We don't care about wins. We don't care about potential to go to the NFL. We're not saying they're a better player, but this is what they said. So your first Big 12 name in this whole thing is Cameron Rising at number 23. This goes into my Pac-12 bias of this, is that Utah has a few guys on this list coming out of Coming, they will be in the Pac-12 again this year, and then they will be in the the Big 12 uh, following in a few years. So there, that's your first guy that's coming to the Big 12 is, is Cam Rising. Xavier Worthy is your first Texas Longhorn that checks in at 59. At 59 is Texas' first player on the top 100 college football players list as voted by ESPN. He is the eighth wide receiver. I'm okay with with Ohio State having two wide receivers ahead of Xavier Worthy. I don't know if that's entirely true, but after last season, yes, he had a big regression. You know what? Fine. And I'm fine with two I, – I'm not fine with two Washington receivers. I don't think there's two Washington receivers that are better than Xavier Worthy. I think statistically last year you could say that. I don't know if he's the eighth wide receiver, but statistically last year he I get that he had the downfall. He had the, he had the hurt hand. The team did not play at a high, high enough level. I get that. Your next Texas Longhorn on this list, Jalen Catalan at number 83. This goes in to the SEC as he transfers out of Arkansas. And, yes, Jalen Catalan is going to be a big piece of what Texas does. If he's able to stay healthy on the field this year, he you're going to hear his name a lot. You are going to love this guy if he can stay healthy and stay on the field. Uh, I mean, we've seen the injuries have been good for Texas so far this year. But that is your number 83 player. One more player makes this list. Only one more Texas player is in the top 100 of college fo- of ESPN's college football. Jalen Ford makes it at 88. Uh, they rightfully say he he was he was almost a Big 12 Player of the Year last year. Should have been. Should have been the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Should have been. So he comes in at 88. Is this a slight to Texas? Is this a slight to the Big 12? Is this a slight to Texas that they do not feel that Texas is going to be where they are, because you can't tell me that they have three guys on this list and they're the 11th best team in the country in the A people. You can't, you can't tell me both those things. You can't tell me that their starting quarterback isn't a top 20 quarterback. Uh, you can't tell me that the defense has Jalen Catalan and Jalen Ford at 83 and 88, and that's it. I, 
I, I just don't see how this coincides with the ranking unless you say, oh, well, no, the Big 12 is crap, is what ESPN seems to be saying. The Big 12 is not great. So I, this is where it gets me. Is I, I don't think Quinn Ewers needs to be on this list. I don't think it's going to be a huge thing. I think all you're doing is possibly giving him some good motivation. But there's 20 quarterbacks on this list. 20 quarterbacks on the ESPN Top 100 college football players. 20 of them. Jalen Daniels, Dylan Gabriel, and Will Howard are all playing in the in the Big 12 this year, all ahead of Quinn Ewers. Now, we know by stats-wise, that may be. That may be. They may come up and have stats. I, I don't get that. I, I don't get how you put him down there. I see in the text line, and I'm getting to him. I'm getting to JT Sanders because, yes, this is my point, is – you, you put Xavier Worthy at 59, okay. But if we're going to put Xavier Worthy at 59 and we want to talk about who could step up and be a better player this year, I mean, Quinn Ewers should be on that list. JT Sanders should be on that list. There's two tight ends on this list. Brock Bowers is number two. They love Brock Bowers. I get it. He's a great player. And Brant Kuthi out of Utah. That is your second tight end. That's your other guy. I, I don't know if they just don't watch the Big 12. I don't know. I don't know what the reasoning is to really slight. And I get it. I'm, I, we got a home review. We're, we're covering Texas every day. We're watching these games. I get it. There is a home review. I'm, I'm fine if you, don't, if you don't have everybody on this list. I just don't get why you're going to put Kelvin Banks. If you want to tell me that there's not. You know, if you there's offensive linemen on this list, and if I if we walk out and go, we'll trade Kelvin Banks for an, any other left tackle in the league. You maybe like three or four schools will say not. Nah, you know what? We'll take we'll keep our left tackle. Maybe maybe ten, but I doubt it. And that's I, I mean when you have somebody like Kelvin Banks, if he's people want to be around him. I get he's just a sophomore, but that guy's really good. Jalen Ford. If you say, are there that many linebackers ahead of him, and are there twenty quarterbacks? that you're going to go for, and if you said this guy or this, if you said me, Coastal Carolina's quarterback or Quinn Ewers, and you want to you have that conversation, <laughs> yeah, I don't get how you're saying, nah, I'll take Coastal Carolina's quarterback over Quinn Ewers. I don't get it. That That's why I, I get you're trying to make people talk about this list, but then put Quinn Ewers on it. All you're getting is Texas people that are going to wonder why why you don't like it. And it's a Big 12 in reality. You love the Pac-12, giving them a going away present. That they couldn't. That school, the conference can't even stay alive. And I get that's no fault, but it's because they don't have enough big names over there. And you're going to give all these players that they're really the best players. And I, I I don't get it. I think it's a silly list. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I just don't understand. Why? How Texas fell off this list, and and if you want to say Quinn Ewers because he didn't look good at parts of the season last year, I get it. That's fine. But if you don't want to take JT Sanders on this list and put some other guys from smaller schools on there, then you're not watching JT Sanders play football and see what he does. He was underused last year and was one of the best. And in, in, I'd still say was the second best tight end in football last year, and that was underused. So I don't know. I'm not a fan of the list. But I, I know there's some guys on this list that are going to be overrated, which is what our big fat poll of the day is. Big fat poll of the day today. Who is the most overrated player going into the 2023 college football season? You can hit us up on the Specs text line. 
is the Specs text line. Hit us up over there uh, and give us who is the most overrated player going into the 2023 college football season. That is our big fat poll of the day. Uh, This list seems like the Pac-12 has a whole bunch of overrated. I think if you just go to the Pac-12, you may be able to find some on this list. Uh, But... uh, yeah, just a, just a fun list that I, want, I saw come out this morning was promoted. I wanted to see, and I said, oh, we'll talk about all the great Texas names on this list, and we'll see how Texas ranks against the Big 12. And I uh, was kind of disappointed, was disappointed with that, but that's, uh, that is what you're going to get from that list. Uh, I do want to hit some MLB notes. We're going to hit some a little bit a little bit later, too, uh, once we get in the 6 o'clock hour. We're off at 6.30 today for Texas Rangers baseball, so we're trying to shove everything in uh, before we got to go. Uh, we'll read all of your tweets uh, or your texts at us. Uh, we'll read those uh, coming up in the next segment. Uh, but right now, I want to talk a little MLB, and we'll go Astros now. We'll talk Rangers right before the Rangers play. How about that? That the Astros uh, got some very good news today. If you're an Astros fan, some very good news because a guy that I wasn't sure was ever going to put on a real baseball jersey and go play a game ever again is playing a game tonight in Sugarland. Michael Brantley. Starts his rehab assignment in Sugarland for the Space Cowboys tonight. And man, that is some good news if you're an Astros fan. Because this is a guy that basically been paid for the last two years to not to not play. And it has been a shoulder injury. It's been, you know, several different things to try and get him to come back. And at a certain point, you might want to cut your loss and just say, hey, we get it. You were a good player for us. Thanks for your help. But you're just not ready to play. And he may still go in Sugarland, have to come out of the game and not play. But to get to his rehab assignment, to get to a start where he will be playing baseball tonight in Sugarland, is a great step forward for the Astros and trying to compete in a where they lost last night. Rangers won. Get another game on you. And we saw something else in the Astros game last night uh, from Resident OK outing. Astros can't get hits. Kind of been a theme, you know, for a while with the Astros. The pitching will be good at points, and the the, the hitting just dries out. Dusty Baker getting some flack, as he does very, very often. I like Dusty Baker, but I think it's a challenging spot he is now getting into because he's trying to figure out that DH spot. And when I talk about Michael Brantley, then that DH spot really comes up because we know he's going to play in Sugarland. I assume he's being a DH. I don't know. Is he going to be able to get out in the field? Is he, is he able to get out and play? And play and be be out in a fielder and throw a guy out. And I know you you have a short field in 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 Houston, but you're going to have to go off and play and play in other parks where that's not going to be there. And you put him on the DH there and the DH spot for the Astros because what they started to find out is they have Yanier Diaz on this team, and Yanier Diaz is one of the hottest hitters on this team. But he's a catcher and maybe a first baseman. You may try and stick him over there while Bray is out. And you know Singleton started off had those two home runs. At home, when Verlander start uh, on Saturday, so maybe you liked him, and maybe you put Yanni Diaz at first, and you try and figure out. But the, you had Jordan at the DH, so you put Jake Myers and Chaz McCormick out in the field last night, and you're just not able to get the hitting on a night to night basis. So if Michael Brantley comes back, do you say Jordan's in the outfield? We know Chaz is gonna is he's shown that he should be the center fielder for the most part, uh, and that puts Brantley on the DH. But where does Yanni Diaz go? The pitchers want Maldonado. They want him out there. Maldonado's been playing okay. He hasn't been putting up Yanni Ardias numbers, but he's been playing okay, and his his defense is is second to none. So 
I get why you want to put him out there. What if you get Michael Brantley back? It pushes into a certain situation where I don't know where that DH spot goes, and Yanier Diaz and Maldonado, and that DH spot all becomes a lot more cloudy once Jose Abreu comes back from injury. Because I think you may be able to put Yanier Diaz at first. You maybe can. I don't know. I haven't watched him play a lot of first base defensively. Uh, Singleton's not also the best defender at first base either. So it's not like you're you're missing a lot either way there. But hitting wise, this team better go up. Uh, they have another game tonight against the Marlins. Uh, that is starting, uh, just started. It just should have started uh, there. Uh, Christian Javier on the mound for the Astros. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will get into your text. We will uh, start kicking into the 6 o'clock hour with a bunch more NFL news, uh, a little bit more MLB, and we're off at 6.30 for Texas Rangers baseball pregame show at 6.30. Right here on The Horn, 1019 AM 1260, com, and The Horn app. The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on the Horn. Back in the sports complex here on the Horn. Time to get into some of your text messages. 512-337-3776 is the Specs text line. We're asking the question today, who is the most overrated player going into the 2023 college football season? Who is it? You you can name a Longhorn if you want, but you can name some other guys that you're not such a big fan of. I, I know I know that uh, there are certain people that think Brent Venables as a coach should be on that list, but uh, who is the most overrated player going into the 2023 college football season? is the poll of the day. Hit us up on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. If you got something else you want to talk about, hit us up there. That's what we'll be doing. Uh, and then we'll get into some NFL uh, news, some uh, no, uh, some sound from Mike McCarthy, some sound uh, from practice with Dallas, uh, Texans, a uh, little news from around the NFL, a little bit more MLB. We'll talk to you about the Rangers and again, get you to Rangers pregame at 630. Uh, looking at our text line, uh, we do see that uh, – Somebody, how about Bijan being the number three rated back in, in a PPR league in ESPN? That's not surprising. The, the Falcons run the ball like crazy. Uh, they, run, they run the ball. You know he's going to get out and catch passes as well. That is not surprising that he is the number three back, and, and backs are not as valued right now. If you put Austin Eckler up there, uh, you know, uh, Nick Chubb is up there. But, yeah, I, I think that Jonathan Taylor, and especially in a PPR league, yeah, that's that's not surprising. That's Bijan Robinson is a beast. We, as Texas fans, we know that. There's no surprise in that one. Uh, Chan, if I recall, Texas lost to Washington in the Alamo Bowl. Def- defensively, they did sufficient. Yes, look, I get Washington did okay, and I also get we didn't have Bijan Robinson, that that offense did not look like they were ready to play, uh, and that was not a great coaching job by Sark in the Alamo Bowl. I, I, if, the, if the Alamo Bowl Texas team shows up this season, I think we're all going to be pretty uh, shocked and appalled uh, pretty early into the season. I don't think that'll be the case. Uh Jalen at 88 is a travesty. I agree. I think Jalen Ford is going to have a great season this year. And Kelvin Banks, come on. Come on. Kelvin Banks is is a hell of a left tackle. Glad he is at Texas. Uh, We get Caleb Williams. uh, F that guy, but at least he bodied OU. Yes, look, I know, and some people may say Caleb Williams. I I think 
look, he's going to have a good year. We know he's going to have a good year. Is he going to be the best player in college football? That's the question. I'll put you one in there. I don't think Drake May is going to have the season everybody thinks he's going to have. And the reason why I think Drake May will still be a good quarterback, but we saw this with Sam Howell that, you know, there's kind of a thing with with some of these quarterbacks that really show a really good year when they're not expected to be there. And then, you know, you lose some of your your more experienced players around you. You lose some of the pieces around you that you help succeed. And it starts to go downhill. You know, players have more tape on you. That's why Caleb Williams is an anomaly, is that he's been able to continue to play at that level. That's why he's pretty much the consensus number one overall pick is because, man, if you can play that well your freshman, sophomore, and junior, if he does it again his junior season, then, yeah, that's consistency. It's the only thing you can ask for. So Drake May is definitely on my list of I don't I think he I look I get why he's there but I I just don't I don't know if he's going to pull it off. He may be on my list for most overrated. I look I love Sark but it could be him. He gets national praise as a genius. He's a first half genius, I guess. Uh, look, I think Sark if we say most overrated coaches, we could probably find 50 of them, right? The the coaches seem easier than the players, but I need some of the most overrated players going into the 2023 college football season. Give me your answers there on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. Yeah, I, I, right now, Caleb Williams seems like a front runner for you guys. Uh, there's going to be some others. There's going to be some others. Uh, you know, It's going to be an interesting season to see who pans out in college football. I'm, I'm ready for it. We're 18 days away from Texas football. I'm ready for it. I hope you guys are ready for it, too. We did get a text earlier, too, when he said Arch has hit 20 miles per hour. Thought 18 was his limit. No, no, he's a he's a speed. It's not surprising, by the way. Yeah, I, someone else is not surprising that uh, Cooper and Archie Manning were athletic. Yeah, I get it. I, we're making a joke because it's the, the Mannings, especially with plyometrics and all the training that they have a, a access to. It would be some more surprising if he was just a lumbering quarterback. And some of that stuff too of why uh, why uh, Peyton at the end couldn't run it all too was because he had a fused neck and he was just trying to hold his giant head up. We got to take a break. When we come back, we'll get into some NFL news. We will wrap up. We're off at 6.30 today, so we will uh, get you caught up on NFL, a little bit more MLB, and uh, get you passed over for pregame for the Rangers versus Angels right here on the Sports Complex on the Horn, 101.9 AM 1260 on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.